Good evening, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us for another edition of Raising Vibration Radio. I'm your host, Reverend Raven, and today with me, I have uh, two magnificent authors that have co-written a book together, um, and I want to introduce them. It's Happy and John Dennis, and I, I want you guys to go ahead and say hello to everybody that's listening in. Hello. Good evening. <laughs> awesome. So um, you guys uh, have uh, co-written a book together. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about your book, the, the name of it, and, and how you guys got the idea? Here is a copy. Here's the front cover of it. Okay. It's called The Chintamani Crystal Matrix, Quantum Intention and the Wish-Fulfilling Gem. It's uh, published by uh, Destiny Books and Inner Traditions. It's a it's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, the Inner Traditions site, and just about everywhere that you can get books. Um, and it is about the wish fulfilling gem. Um, and it's uh, and and the the Chintamani. Why it's called the wish fulfilling gem? That's what the Chintamani means. And in fact, John Dennis, why don't you explain like its Sanskrit origins? Right. Well, right. So it is from uh, Sanskrit, and the first part of it, Chinta, um, means intention. And so the latter part is, you know, money just, you know, literally means gem or jewel. So uh, the, I mean, it, it, it's translated most often as wish, wish fulfilling gem. And yet uh, you could translate it as the mind gem, you know, as, uh, or the, the, you know, the intention gem, you could, you know, translate it that way. And it goes back, um, we were trying to trace it in history. So there's like an external chintamani in it. It's uh, part of a myth that comes from Hinduism, from the uh, churning of the milk ocean time. And so there's a, a, the, the gods and the anti-gods are cooperating um, under the tutelage of, you know, the, the Trinity, you know, the, 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 what we, the, the gods would be called the shining ones, but the, you know, gods are, you know, the creator and the sustainer and the destroyer, uh, all in one, the Trinity. So um, what happens in this whole churning of the milk ocean is that um, there's 14 gems, 14 things that come out of it. And one of the, one of the gems, or in this case, it means precious, but one of the things that comes out of it is the first, the very first Chintamani. And what we get from it is this um, sort of paradox. So it's a powerful gem and what it does is it grants you any wish. And the, the catch 22 about it is if you use it for your own um, desires, but you don't use it to help other people, then it creates chaos in the world. But if you use it to benefit all beings, then, you know, then it can work out. But so the entire history of like working with this gem is that people, um, even the, you know, whether it's the gods, human beings, who's ever, gets in contact with it, um, they, they get a moral crisis. And the moral crisis is, am I going to use this to benefit people or not? It's sort of like winning the lottery. People say, oh, if I win the lottery, I'll take care of everybody. <laughs> right. and then, you know, and then four years later, they're completely broken. They haven't really helped anybody. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
so how did how did you guys come together to write this book together? I mean, um, have you known each other for a very long time? Were you both studying and accidentally met together? Can you explain that a little bit? Well, um, I I actually kind of I to, to some degree I think like the universe kind of magnetized us together because I think you know, John Dennis is a Tibetan Lama and he's been studying Buddhism his entire life. And, um, and I have been, um, I have more of a, a Christian spiritual background. Um, and I've been studying the Kabbalah, but about, I've been like collecting minerals and, and I've been a gem dealer forever. I mean, I, I started collecting minerals when I was a child. And, um, and so I've always kind of obsession with crystals. Um, but it was John Dennis when we met a few years ago, he was the one who kind of introduced me to this whole concept of the Chintamani, which deep down, I think inside of me, I believed as an archetype. I just didn't know that there was something called the wish fulfilling gem. So he, he helped me discover that. And then once we had connected on that level, then, then it's like, we kind of kind of spontaneously came up with an idea. We should write a book about this because no one has ever written a book about the Chintamani in a comprehensive way. And we kind of feel like it's hiding in plain sight. Like it's there. It's like, this is it's like this essence within crystals, a spiritual essence. And that there's this like, almost like this magical gemstone that that might exist on the on this material plane but even more importantly exists on the spiritual plane and so we wrote this book to try to introduce this concept to others and maybe even raise the awareness and one's practice with crystals like like how how do we take tangible matter and and meditate with it and raise ourselves along with the archetype with energy of this crystal to a higher, to a higher level, to a higher vibration. Wow. So, so you, so the universe just kind of sucked you two together, magnetize yourself and you, you connected and, and you got together and written this book. Uh, John Dennis, being a Buddhist, is that something they talk about in that, in, you know, that um, you call that a religion? Cause I, you know, or is that your, I don't know. It, most people just call it a practice because it's really what it is. You know, it's 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 a you could say it's a belief system, but it, you know, the most important thing is that you do practice. So you have to verify everything you you know that anybody tells you is true. You have to verify it yourself. So um, in that way, it's 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 much more practical. Practical. So yeah. is is the, the stone um, that you guys have written a book about, is that something that you studied in, in Buddhism? Because um, I, I've never heard of that stone until I met you guys. Well, you know, the weird thing is a lot of people haven't. And, and then as we were discussing it and we did, a, you know, we did some lectures about it. And, and then the people in the audience would be scratching their heads like, what are you talking about? And it's, it's almost like it's, it's a secret about one of the things that's most, that's out in the open everywhere, but, but people just don't recognize it. I mean, that's the, that was sort of the weird thing about it. So it's in, it's in Buddhism and it's in Hinduism. So it comes, you know, especially, you know, in those two sort of like cousin traditions, uh, you know, in the mythology and, and uh, in the, in the actual spiritual teachings. And so, um, 
in this case, in, in within Buddhism, is usually a being who has the chintamani has to be sort of a, a bodhisattva, being a being who dedicates his or her entire life to to benefiting other sentient beings. You know, so that's the sort of service to other people is the number one thing that that a bodhisattva does. And so the wish fulfilling gem is almost a um, like an emblem that you are a bodhisattva on one hand, but it's also you, maybe it's a technology that you've got that you can use to help um, do, you know, that you can help to benefit other people. So the thing that I didn't know, so it's like, you know, having studied this from, you know, over 40 years, um, was that once I started looking at pictures, so instead of like looking at what was written, in this book, we look at a lot of, um, you know, images. And so one of the sets of images we looked at was uh, of bodhisattvas. And almost in all the bodhisattvas, there's a, there's a chintamani in the picture. But it's, it isn't like talked about, I mean, which is the really kind of unusual um, thing, I guess you'd say about it. Um, and, you know, I, I would ask questions of different uh, lamas and teachers about it. And, you know, they would just kind of look at me, tilt their head and say, what are you, you know, what are you interested in for? You know, it's like, why are you so interested? And and then I wouldn't get like a, a straight answer at all. You know, it was just sort of like around, sort of around the edges, um, which of course just made, you know, both of us more steadfast and looking things up. Right? <laughs> like, oh, there must be a bigger, a bigger secret here that we're, that we're, that we're stumbling upon. So I would say that it's, it really is everywhere, but it isn't talked about as much as it's in, in all of the pictures that you see about Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, and it just shows up everywhere. That is very interesting. Um, getting back to uh, uh, to your spirituality or, or your practice, uh, when was your aha moment that you decided this is going to be my practice, this is going to be my life, this is how I'm going to walk my path? Well, I think I had, for me, I had a couple of them. I, you know, I was in college and I took a class in, um, it was like Eastern philosophies and religions. And then through that whole semester, I was like, wow, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, why didn't they tell me this before? You know, <laughs> so like every, every day that I was reading or, you know, that I was attending a lecture, I'd be like, wow. Why didn't I know this before? But this sounds this makes a lot of sense. So that was sort of the intellectual side of it. And then um, I think the other side was when I was I was a conscientious objector um, in the in Vietnam War, and um, you know was doing alternate um, civilian service. And one of the things that uh, kind of came up as I was introspecting was, well, I've got to do something about my own um, peacefulness or my own anger. You know, I've got to do something to quell that or to become a more tranquil person. And um, so, um, you know, as, as things opened up, that's when I, um, I discovered meditation. Uh, and then it was like from that moment, it was like, wow. You know, the minute I started doing meditative practice, um, it was like this, this is the key. Whatever, you know, whatever else you say, you know, it's you sitting on the pillow or you you know, you doing deep breathing or there's, you know, literally, as you know, hundreds and hundreds of meditative mm -hmm. techniques that you can do. Um, 
And, uh, and then that, that's what really sort of opened up the world for me. It was like, I have the key, you know, it didn't happen all at once, but it's like, I have the key now. Happy. What about you? Well, I mean, in terms of, uh, of spiritual practice, I've always believed in a higher God, higher source. I mean, I don't, I can't remember when I didn't. So, I mean, so, I mean, for me, it's always been like, there's been little steps on the pathway showing me like that there is higher guidance that I am following and just a, a reminder of that. But I, there, there is a moment in my life when, um, when I was probably, well, I felt like I was kind of called to like work with crystals in a more meaningful spiritual way. Um, and, and there's, there's this, actually this resort that offers, um, spiritual, uh, sessions like astrology and things like that, that, that John Dennis and I were both working at. And, um, and I remember years ago telling my supervisor at this resort, like I said, why don't you offer crystal energy sessions? Because this is really popular in Arizona since Arizona has the world's largest gem and mineral show. It's actually in Tucson and so I was encouraging them to kind of hire a, like a, a crystal practitioner. Mm -hmm. And um, and so my supervisor, who knew I had like this massive collection of crystals, said, well, why don't you do it? You're the one with all the crystals. And I and I thought, I thought, well, I'm not that kind of an energy expert. You know, I for some reason I was doubting my 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 own, I don't know, my my own intuition about crystals. And um, and so Right after that, I went on this trip. Um, I was driving to Colorado, but I stopped at the Taos Pueblo in northern New Mexico. And um, and I was in the Taos Pueblo, and there were the, the Native Americans who live in there. And um, I remember going into this, into one of their homes where they were selling like a, some, some Native American items, but some of them, they had like these, kind of like these tumbled rocks on the table. And I was asking this, this Native American one, this Pueblo woman, it's like, how much are your crystals? And and um, she didn't really answer me. I had to ask her a couple of times and she never answered me. And then I was asking her about these other stacked stones that she had in her, in her, in the Pueblo. And then she said, she said, you're the second person to ask me about those stones. Do you want to know about the first person? And I thought, that's mysterious. I thought, what's going on here? You know, and so, and then she started telling me about this rock talker from the Sioux, from the Sioux tribe that had come in there and was actually talking in, to the rocks and then telling the Pueblo woman, she said, your, your rocks are very happy and they want you to know that they love being here and they love you and that they're helping you in life, you know? And so the Pueblo woman thought the Sioux woman was crazy, okay? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, she's telling me this story and she said, you're you're behaving with the rocks the same way the Sioux woman did. And she said, you're a rock talker too. So she said that the Sioux woman introduced herself and said she was a rock talker. And she said, you've been talking to the rocks too. And I, and I just kind of looked at her and I was like, oh, you know, that was interesting. I never found out she actually had any rocks for sale. Just like everything. <laughs> and I just walked out and and I also realized I was kind of in this vortex field, like the Taos Pueblo was really powerful place. It's like the only living Pueblo that's still like a living Pueblo that's still in existence, you know, uh -huh. that's like an operating Pueblo. And, um, and, and I, and after that, then all these other synchronistic experiences happened. And it's like, 
the universe was telling me, you know, you need to go home and start doing, offering lectures, selling crystals, doing services. And I started doing that. And um, that was before I met John Dennis. I started doing all that. But then once John Dennis, uh, like, was hired at the same place, it's like, it's like it was just like, it just started unfolding. And then it eventually led to this book. But that was, I would say that was like a moment where I think the universe was trying to get my attention saying, don't turn this down. Like, this is, this is the doorway we want you to go through. Oh, man, that is really, I just got chills listening to that you know because i never even heard of the terminology rock talker I, i'm a firm believer in crystals and i know that they help us you know and, and stones help us and everything like that but never heard the terminology rock talker in my entire life well the pueblo woman said that rock talkers are rare even among the native americans they're not they're not common and you happen to walk in right after uh, the first one. And you, you that's incredible. All in one day. And then you're told to do this. And you listened and you followed. That's amazing. Well, if a Native American and the Taos Pueblo is telling you you're a rock talker, you know, you want to listen. <laughs> <laughs> I gotcha. So one of my listeners, um, Lisa, she says, this is really fascinating. And this was back when you were talking about the 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 stone, the, the wishing stone here. She says, as an energy healer, can I integrate that into my practice? Um, I I would highly encourage that. So I'll share with you another another recent story that or a recent um, you know interchange I had with a crystal. So you know, like I just mentioned, we have the world's largest gem and mineral show here. So you know, I go to that every year, and I'm I, you know there there are thousands of crystals. It's really very overwhelming, and so this this most recent one, which is in February, I um was walking by this booth um, is probably like, I think they were from Afghanistan and they had like these, this like big pile of like rough aquamarine. So I, I go over there, I pick one up and I, and I, and I like, and I, I'm attracted to the crystal and I try to negotiate with the, with the owner and, um, and he's not coming down the price and I'm being stubborn. So anyway, I put it down. <laughs> And I start to walk away and the crystal is pulling me back. Okay. And so then I go back and I just go ahead and pay what he wants. And I bought something else too. And, um, and actually we had like this incredible spiritual interchange. Once I gave him money, then all of a sudden he kind of opened up to me and he, he told me a bunch of interesting things and, you know, so that, that was good. But later on when I was meditating with the crystal, okay. And in fact, I was doing a meditation with John Dennis. We were doing this like, you know, like we were doing mantras and I held this aquamarine in my hand and I noticed that the aquamarine had been sort of inert and it was like the energy was waking up as we were doing the practice. And all of a sudden I felt like this, this surge of energy, like, like the aquamarine had found its spiritual purpose or path in life. Like up until that point in time, it was just a rock. And now right. all of a sudden it was being woken up to a higher purpose. And so then I also realized, oh, I shouldn't sell this one because this one has just, just woke up, but it didn't wake up until we were doing mantra and meditation and focused intention with it. So 
So I, I think, I think, you know, an answer to one, one of your viewers is like, think of your crystals that way, that they're on a journey to a journey of awakening and that, that you working with them and say doing mantras and meditation and holding them, um, that, that they're on a journey with you to spiritual awakening. So when you're doing that, like you can wake up the Chintamani essence inside the crystal along with yourself. So the, the crystal, you could actually be the crystal itself, right? Within your, your, your spirit or your, you know, you don't, you don't necessarily need a physical stone. You could be the stone. Yes. I think, I think you can be the stone too. In other words, like you can have the Chintamani within you. And in fact, like John Dennis, you, you kind of think it's kind of like the pineal gland. Well, I think that's the connection through which, you know, through which you connect to them. And, and when you, and when you're connecting with this, again, you said earlier, uh, we have to be really careful what we wish for, correct? Like, we don't want to be selfish with it. We want to be for the good of the of whole, for whole humanity, correct? Yeah, ab absolutely. But, you know, when you, I mean, even when you look at this word chinta in, you know, in first part in Sanskrit, it means not, it means like something that you've thought about or reflected on. So it's not like, I want some ice cream right now. You know, it's not like a, you know, reflex uh, kind of thing. Uh, but it's like something that you've pondered, uh, you know, and, and you thought, what, what, how could I really take care of people? Or how can I really improve things? You know, so you've put some uh, thought and consideration into it. And so consideration is sort of like a, one of the translation words that come, that come up with it. Uh, but it, but it is something that you more, you know, deeply thought or think about. So, um, yeah, it's, um, if, if it's a power crystal, then people are just using it reflexively to try and get power. But if you're, you know, using it in the, uh, sort of the spirit that it comes out in sort of the different religious and mystical mythologies, it's saying you use this to benefit other people and you use it to benefit them in the way that um, you've already got a calling for. So if you are a healer, uh, you're going to, you're going to find stones as support or, you know, minerals or crystals as support that will help you do the healing. Uh, if you're doing um, channeling, you'll find a, you know, a, some, some crystal also that'll help you, you know, follow that path. So, there's like a you know mutual attraction that happens between you and a particular stone, and even though you don't need, uh, strictly speaking, to have uh, a crystal, it's still sometimes having some kind of support to like start you somewhere uh, is creates an anchor, uh, and it just it makes it kind of simpler from there, uh, because the you know the crystals themselves have um, electromagnetic energy, then you can just without waking them up as a consciousness, you can wake them up as an energy. So, you know, rubbing them, you know, in other words, heating them up is creates a pyroelectric charge. Uh, and, you know, by squeezing them or pressing them, you know, it creates a piezoelectric charge. Uh, and, but it creates an electromagnetic charge. So it's like you're, wa you're waking the, the stone up and so that you're, you're literally like switching it on. 
So um, I want to take just a second here and share my uh, one of my computer screens here so that I can show them uh, the cover of your book here real quick. So um, I'm adding it now and uh, let's see here. Can uh, So that is their book and it's on Amazon, correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. So uh, uh, I will put a link in here for you guys to uh, go to Amazon. And, and I just wanted you to see how amazing the cover. Did you guys create this cover together yourselves? Well, we um, there was a cover. No, actually, Inner Traditions has had a cover artist. They came up with something. And then, then we got together with... Um, with my daughter who, who's really good with, um, with graphic artists. And we, we gave them some new suggestions and then they came back with something else. And then we modified it some more. I mean, it actually took, it was like a massive group effort. So, but I mean, we're very happy with the way it turned out. It's a beautiful cover. The book itself is beautiful. They, they, um, they took all of our illustrations. It's full color. We have like over a hundred illustrations in the book. Oh man, I can't wait to get, I'm going to have to order this tonight and get it. Uh, again, I was telling them earlier, you know, all of you that know me, uh, I have really put myself out there lately and just, um, you know, I can't stop myself from, I, I need to learn to say the word no. Uh, that's, that's one of the things I need to do is learn to say no, but, um, but I, I, this is just like drawing me in and I really want to uh, read this, uh, you know, ingest it, feel it. Cause I, I, the attraction is just there. You know what I mean? It's just drawing me in and I can't wait to, uh, you know, look at the pictures, but no, to read it. Cause your research, I love the time you put in, how long, how much research did you guys have to do for this book? Oh, it took us a few years to it write took, it. It took it six, it was six years effort yeah yeah six years i can imagine and the um, book kind of like took on a life of its own as so we had an outline and then it's like it kept it's almost like like cells splitting off and new chapters started evolving from it and um and then like like i remember one chapter just kind of split off on its own and i even told john dennis i said this this book is like like splitting atoms and it's just it it was it 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 really did take on a life of its own so um yeah it did and then the other thing that happened is different opportunities would come up so we were in the middle of writing it and um maybe halfway through and um we got word that one of the crystal skulls the mitchell hedges crystal skull was going to be in phoenix so we live in Tucson, so it's a, a couple hour drive away. Um, so suddenly we thought, well, it's, you know, it's come this far. It's like, it's only a couple hour drive here because in the West, you know, two hours is nothing to drive somewhere. <laughs> it, it's, it's out here. Yeah, it's big, right. If you want to go somewhere, you're going to have to go two hours anyway. So um, we, you know, we each went and, you know, had an interaction with it and, uh, we were, you know, like a lot of people, you're sort of skeptical about it because it's like, even though we've read books about it and, you know, listened to a lot of videos and, you know, watch, watch different presentations about it. Um, but then when we had like a, you know, an, a, 
like in our each of our experiences and then we compared them and we compared them with the people who weren't with us and you know everybody was moved you know and then suddenly we had we realized we have to start to incorporate the crystal skulls it's part of the you know it's a you know, call it like a type or a species of chintamani so um going back to the uh the the crystals or you know where people go and and you were talking about the magnetism and and selecting the right one how would you guys describe to somebody what to feel you know how do you know which stone is right for you i know you have the magnetic but does some does it like heat up in your hand uh you know what are you looking for when you're well, I, um, I mean, I do entire sessions helping people. Um, I do crystal energy sessions where I lay out like say 80, 90 crystals on the table. And I'm, I also like have them select from a rose of quartz crystal points. And then I, and then I kind of guide them through the process of selecting crystals. And so sometimes when I have like say quartz crystal points in a row and I'm asking someone to pick one, to select for meditation there were like, cause I teach people how to clear them and how to, how to embed intention in them. Um, I always like tell people to um, pick more with the feeling in their hand rather than their sight. Like in other words, don't just pick the pretty crystal. Okay. The one that your eye is attracted to also feel it with your hands and, and feel the energy and feel how it feels in, in your hand and, and try to pick more from that. Uh, and then, and then when I have people, you know, picking from array of crystals, like say 90 crystals on the table, you know, I'll kind of guide them to this meditation of like, well, you know, kind of clear yourself first, you know, get centered. And then, and then, uh, you know, think of something that you might need help with, like kind of close your eyes and think about something that you need help with in your life and open your eyes and then pick a crystal. Okay. Is that that way, I'm trying to get away from people just picking the pretty ones, you know, mm -hmm. like going a little bit deeper and picking ones that that you actually energetically need. And then I actually do have people close their eyes and then just use their hands and, and, and help guide them over the crystals and have them pick one energetically. OK, and so right. I end up helping them build like a medicine wheel. OK, like they pick four to five crystals. And then for di in different sectors of the medicine wheel, and and then also they have a grid of crystals to work with. Okay, and but I mean you don't need to have a practitioner to do this. You know, it's like you go into a crystal show or 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 a like a crystal shop. You know, you can close your eyes and just feel the energy. You know, some people feel little tingles. Some people feel like a magnetism or an inner knowing. And you know, you kind of want to rely more on that than just picking ones that look pretty okay because you know once you're getting engaging the body and the electromagnetism of your body then it's like you're being pulled towards certain minerals and um i have seen this a lot in in uh in in my crystal energy sessions um once we disengage just the vision okay and kind of go towards what do you magnetize what do you magnetize to Frequently, I'll find that people end up picking crystals where all of them have iron in them or they all have calcium in them. And also I realize, oh, are you, are you craving iron or calcium? And then I cannot tell you how many times people have ended up saying, oh, I have a 
I have the inability to absorb iron or I'm calcium deficient or whatever the mineral is. Okay. Mm -hmm. so, so some of this is very, very private. Sometimes your body is just craving or wanting to move towards the certain actual minerals that are inside that crystal. And so I think we, you know, sometimes we think like, oh, the, you know, crystal energy is just new age stuff, but it, you know, these are minerals. We sometimes we ingest these things, we're eating them in our food. So I actually think of like say crystal energy as a form of food or vitamins for the auric field. And that's actually why we wear them too, is because we're bioelectrical but at a bioelectrical level absorbing the minerals through our auric field. I, you know, um, when I was a child, uh, my father and grandfather were rock hounds. So we went out to Quartzsite, mm. Arizona for the big gym show out there. I don't even know if they have that out there anymore. It's very popular. Is it? Okay. <laughs> More popular than ever. Yeah, exactly. It is. But my grandfather, who did not, you know... Um, he said he would say these crazy people these hippies that's what he called them back in the 70s he goes these hippies would come over here and put that rock in their hand and they'd say oh the energy's so good and you and and he would get a kick out of it because he didn't believe in that stuff but i did even as a child back you know i was in uh middle school when we went out there for the first time and i i remember going and i was so fascinated watching people back then resonate to a certain stone and, and, you, know, and you know those hippies are still there yeah <laughs> <laughs> they have a few grayer hairs now <laughs> I don't, but they're, 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 they were spiritualists but he called them a hippie because he didn't understand you know it's it's kind of funny you, you know to go back and reflect um I, you know, I wasn't very, I wasn't brought up religious at all. Um, my parents, uh, my dad was Catholic. My mother was Methodist and we didn't go to church. So I would go and get baptized at a church every Sunday when I was about 12 years old, trying to, because I knew there was much more. And then I'd get mad going to a church. Did you guys ever find that for yourself when going to a traditional type church? Well, I've, I, because I kind of was raised in a, in a rather fundamental Christian religion. Um, my, my parents were actually pretty open-minded, but, um, but we still were dealing with this fundamental Christian religion. That's like probably thought that crystal energy was sort of like witchcraft or satanic a little bit or something. But then I, I spent a lot of time arguing with people like either within the church or within the religion. And even today telling Christians, you know, crystal energy is actually deeply Christian. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you go into the old Testament, you know, the high priest wore a breastplate with 12 gemstones that he had to wear in order to go, to go and administer it from the Ark of the Covenant. Okay. And then according to, you know, uh, Hebrew tradition that God would actually communicate with the high priest through those, through those 12 gemstones. Okay. So that is like very ancient crystal energy deeply embedded in the Old Testament. Plus, there are literally hundreds of, of, of references to gemstones being used in a metaphorical sense throughout the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament. You know, they refer to God's throne as being this 
huge glowing vibrant emerald okay and then they talk and then in the new testament they talk about how the new jerusalem has like these layers of gemstones and you know in the walls and in the gates and you know if these crystals had no energy why is god using them to build in the new jerusalem you know why does god have them in his throne why are there gemstones in the crowns of the righteous you know it may mean to me this is like just the like say the biblical or christian version of the chintamani yeah, I, I, I recall that they even talk about the foundations of heaven, like the 12th foundation of heaven is amethyst. Yeah, yeah, well, the, the 12th, the, tw the the foundations of heaven are built on 12 uh, layers of 12 different crystals that are sort of loosely connected to the gemstones in the high priest breastplate. Interesting. It is really interesting. Uh, what about uh, Buddhism? Do they is the practice based on gemstones too as well? Uh, or you know, I know you have matras. Uh, I'm very familiar with that. Well, there's actually this one um, unusual practice, uh, and what you do is you get chips of uh, semi-precious gems. And then you have like this, you know, what they call it is a mandala plate. Usually, I mean, it could be silver, it could be copper, um, you know, it could be it could be plain. It, it, it doesn't matter what it is. But it's like if you, you, you could also use grains, but if you use semi-precious stones, then they're, you know, they're energetic. And what you do is you, you grab a pile and you're putting um, piles around this. And, and so what you're uh, doing is you're repeating a prayer but what's happening also is that you are, by putting these gemstones, you're imagining that throughout your entire set of lifetimes that you've been doing good deeds and good work and you've been generous and giving like gemstones without, uh, you know, thought of yourself, you're, you're non-hoarding, you know, you're trying to benefit other people. And you do this prayer you know, really 100,000 times. And, and what you're trying to get is and of course, it doesn't happen in one day, but but it's like what you're trying to get is the feeling that, you know, over all my lifetime, I really have contributed to this planet. I really have completed. And part of it has the effect of like people then valuing themselves because they're dealing with this gem. So this is like a very um, sort of important practice that's uh, considered to be in the introductory practices in uh, Tibetan Buddhism. And that's, that's just one of them. Then there's, you know, then there's all the visualizations and, um, you know, the Buddha, the Dharma and the Sangha, they're all considered to be gems. So it's like the theme just keeps coming up over and over and over again. Well, the three principles of Buddhism are actually known as the triple gem, right? Right. Well, you know, and I'll also add on too is like John Dennis are very, and I were very amazed, and we started looking at like say the um, artwork um, and the and the tankas in Buddhism. They have piles of gems, you know, chintamani's, you know, at the like say at the base of the like the Buddha, you know, and and and, and Tara and stuff, and then you know within their auric fields they have like all these chintamani's in their auras too. And um, and then sometimes they're holding the chintamani in their in, in in mudras and prayer poses. So, you know that it's it's the the these powerful gemstones are very frequently found in the artwork. 
Yeah, you know, I uh, I have noticed that, and I, again, I I was brought up around gemstones. I I I wear them. I have them. Uh, you know, I know that they're uh, like right now. I'm wearing a hematite uh, bracelet right now uh, that helps you know shoo away negativity, and uh, our, our help with pain. You know, it, it has multiple purposes, just like everything stone. But uh, it's it's amazing how they have been a part of our culture, our heritage, our lives, and we don't even realize it. I, you know, for the for the person that's not a, awakened yet, you know, they they have them too as well hanging around. You know, we we symbolize uh, big events with stones and jewelry, right? That's right, we do. So it's, it, it's and also think about like the crown jewels of all the of of royal families and kings and queens. I mean, the way they are crowned with um, these crowns of gold and set with the biggest gemstones. I mean, think about the crown jewels in the Tower of London. I mean, it's an it's an incredibly impressive array of some of the most incredible gemstones on the planet. And for some of them, they have like symbolic powers like the. One of the world's largest diamonds is in the scepter and it's considered the scepter of spiritual temporal power. Okay. So they, mm -hmm. they assign symbolic meanings behind these, behind these items too. And then there's certain diamonds, certain large diamonds that can only go in the crowns of, 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 of the female Royal members. Um, and so, so there's, they, it's like they, there, there is this energy behind the stones and they are using them symbolically and putting, placing them in certain pieces. Um, you guys mentioned, uh, hold on a second. Lisa says, I meditate with crystals every day. I also set up different grids. They have been amazingly helpful. Your work is beautiful and appreciating. So they're, uh, she wants to tell you, she appreciate you guys coming on here and sharing uh, this information with her tonight. Um, you guys said that you guys work at a, a resort there where you live. Oh yeah, so it's uh it's Canyon Ranch Resort here uh -huh. in Tucson, and I think they yeah they also have one in Massachusetts, and they have one part of one in Las Vegas. Yeah, but I yeah I I worked there for like twelve years, and John Dennis worked there for a few years, mm -hmm. about four. And, and, and so is it like a spiritual retreat there or just a resort? It, it's a health and healing retreat. It's pr predominantly like um, you use for health and healing, but they, they do have a metaphysical department and a spirituality department. And, um, and so I see people do there to do crystal energy. I do astro gemology there. I give lectures. I do crystal energy workshops um you know and and uh and i also do like well i also lead meditations there do, using crystals as well what do you do there john dennis uh, i used to do western astrology chinese astrology and uh, feng shui interesting but you don't do it anymore you retired out of there i i did i, I did retire out of there and um but he's not retired i'm not retired <laughs> I'm writing other things. I mean, I have I have time to do more writing now. I got you. Are Are you guys working on another book right now together? Or are you just doing one yourself, John? To this, 
both actually i'm doing one myself and then we're doing one we're doing one together <laughs> i got you so what's your next one together what's that about well i'm i don't know that we want to disclose that yet you know okay. <laughs> you know, the main reason why is because we have to send we just sent we have to send the idea to the publisher first and I got you. Uh, and so so until we do that we'll just but it is going to be about crystals. Okay? It's going to be about crystals. It awesome. is going to be about crystals. You know, and, and and we also have we have we are planning on writing the sequel to the Chintamani Crystal Matrix. Okay, there's going to be a sequel too, and um and that that one is we have to start writing as well. You know, we have to do more research on it though. Right. I, I think you guys should do a documentary on it myself. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, no, actually, I think a, a documentary on the Chintamani, it would be an amazing because it's so visual. You know, crystals are super visual. You can talk about them, but you want to see them, you know? Right, right. And, you, you know, you want you want to see their energy. I mean, crystals are a very, very visual process. And um, so I think a documentary on it would be, would be amazing. I know. I mean, if you guys... Uh... If you guys want to do one, I'm totally with you on that one. Um, I think it's great. I think you should totally do a documentary on it. Um, you know, get, we'll get it out there because it's 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 so fascinating when you have the visualization of the stones and you talk about it and what each one does and and uh, for people to see, actually see exactly. I mean, I can tell you, oh, I got a hematite, but how many people know that hematite is a black stone, you know, and, uh, you know, until you actually see it and stuff like that. And I, I love your, uh, uh, your uh, picture behind you that's in the, yeah, that's very interesting. Where did you get that? Well, here, and I'll even move the cameras. You can see the whole thing. Okay. Oh, that's that, that actually a, an interesting backstory. We actually did get that at the gem show. Mm -hmm. And uh, and John Dennis actually helped me um, select it. But it it, it comes from, um, from um, uh, um, uh, like, uh, it comes from a monastery in, in Nepal. And, and it's, and it's an original. So the, the, priests or the lamas, you know, in the, in Nepal hand painted that using ground up gemstone pigments. Wow. Okay. So like the blue that you see in there is actually lapis that has been ground down and turned into a pigment. Wow. And the red is like, um, like a coral. It's like a ground up coral. So there's actual gemstones in that painting. And the, and the other thing is, so you can see it, it has this incredible, you know, visual look to it. But if you take your hand up and you put it, you know, and feel the, you just feel this energy that's radiating mm -hmm. from, you know, from the mandala that's there. And you're like, why, what am I feeling? And, you know, some people feel it, then it's like, once you tell them, oh, well, you know, it's ground up gems that they use to, you know, as the pigment, all different kinds of gems. Well, I, I can definitely feel it. I mean, it's made me smile the whole entire time. I mean, it's happy. Oh, yeah. Well, well, you know, so so the that so that particular mandala is called the Kala Chakra. And we actually devote a at least part of a chapter in our book to the Kala Chakra because it does have this connection to Shambhala and the Chintamani. Do you want to talk more about that? Sure. 
So um, the uh, the Chintamani, like one of its functions, I guess you could call it, is that you can use it as a guidestone, and you use it as a guidestone to find uh, this you know this land um, or this dimension. There's probably a better description of it uh, of Shambhala. And Shambhala, when you translate it from Sanskrit, means sort of like a peaceful place. And so that's another. Um, idea that you just find in every culture it's just in every culture about there is some place that guides the development of human beings uh and we go we sort of go into uh you know different you know there's a theosophical there's a buddhist there's a hindu version of it um there's there's even a russian orthodox version of it um Bielovoidia. and so there's um you know, you do, it's another one of those things. The minute you start to go looking for it, it's like you realize it's just everywhere, but it has different, you know, has different names, you know, that it's been named in different languages. And so this wish fulfilling gem then is like something that you can use as a guidestone. So one of the things that we did to sort of, you know, start the, the book out was to um, pick a modern day story of a family that went ahead and used, you know, acquired a Chintamani and um, did a, a quest. So uh, I'm going to let uh, Happy talk about that that one. Yeah, because I wrote that chapter. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so it's, um, it, it was a Russian family named the Roricks and Nicholas Rorick um, was a, uh, was a, sort of like a spiritual master he, he and his wife, Helena, basically introduced Buddhism in St. Petersburg, Russia. And this was in the, like, like say, 1918, 1919. And, um, and so this was like, you know, right, you know, right after the, after World War One. Um, and they, they ended up connecting with a master, you know, in Europe. And he was an artist, too. So he, would, he was a painter, he was a poet, and yeah, he was getting some 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 fame in Europe. So he's doing art shows. Well, they ended up connecting with a, an ascended spiritual master who then sent them like some kind of a Chintamani stone, which is a little bit mysterious. And we talk about it in the in the book because we're not completely sure what kind of a stone it was. It could have been a Moldavite, a meteorite, but there was some 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 guide stone, some Chintamani guide stone was actually sent to them. And, um, and that, and then they started a quest in, um, they started it in, in, um, like basically in probably in Darjeeling, they started this quest going through Asia and opening up Asia to Western consciousness. And a lot of people don't even know about this family. The Rorics really mm -hmm. did open up, um, the, the the east to western consciousness in modern times so they went on this this three-year expedition going through tibet and mongolia and they were basically seeking shambhala okay using this chintamani guidestone it is an absolutely fascinating story um sort of like an adventure story almost like an indiana jones story before there was indiana jones you know and um and you know and and then there's there's even been there's even intrigue surrounding them because some people think that they were spies working for Russia and other people thought they were spies working for the United States government, you know, and so some have even said he was a double agent. 
um, and and then in, because different entities were helping to fund this mission. But it was a very very intriguing family, and um and you know in kind of going through their diaries because uh, I did a lot of reading of their diaries and stuff. I am not completely sure what it is that they did discover because I think they hid it. I think they did discover something about Shambhala, this hidden land of Shambhala. And I think, I think they actually deliberately removed it from their diaries um, because they didn't want to make it known to say, un the, to, to, to like say world leaders or, uh, or governments who were not enlightened. Mm-hmm. That would make sense, you know. I don't, you know, they didn't want the the innocence to be spoiled or taken away from somebody that, you know, isn't of like mind. I, I totally get that. I would, I wouldn't have printed it either myself mm -hmm. if I had discovered it. You know, not not at all because there there's some people that like malice in this world, unfortunately. And so in our book, we have a chapter, we show, we actually, um, you know, several of his paintings, because he was painting images while he was on this expedition. And um, it's, it's like his paintings are more revealing than his diaries. And, um, and so we explore that in the book of like looking at the images um, that he painted of like, you know, it's almost like there's these clues showing that they did find Shambhala or that they found like a, a sacred crystal of ca a sacred cave of crystals where they were meditating with masters. Um, and you see these in the paintings, but you don't you don't see them being you don't see this being recorded in his diary. Interesting. Interesting. Did you guys get to, when you were researching for your book and everything like that, did you take off and go over to Asia and kind of walk the path they did from the diary? Did you get an opportunity to do that? Well, we sort of finished the book during lockdown. So <laughs> we, we actually did have that idea of doing that, but then all of a sudden 2020 happened, you know? Uh. So but what was great is that, uh, you know, that's when we actually, that was the year we actually finished the book. And then, then the publisher got it in 2021, did the editing and then it got, and then it got printed and it came out this January. So, I mean, I, in many ways, I was kind of thankful for lockdown because I, it, it allowed me to actually write some chapters, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. It, it, sure the book would have gotten done otherwise. <laughs> it, you know, the, the lockdown was actually, I found it to be quite the blessing, uh, you, you know, uh, during that whole time it slowed everything down. Uh, you got to reflect on some stuff, uh, got to say goodbye to some people on the planet that were ready to go home, you know? So, well, it was funny because we had turned like, a couple of chapters and the, the table of contents to this publisher right before, right before the pandemic started. And then, and then we thought, well, well, we don't know what happened to that. And then all of a sudden, April, 2020, the publisher came back to us and said, we want to publish this. When can you get it done? Yeah. How soon? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and then all of a sudden we spent the rest of 2020 scrambling to get it done, you know? So that's what we did. I, I that's all I remember about 2020 trying to write a book. <laughs> <laughs> 
and and you guys got it published from a publisher a lot and this is your first book together a lot of people have to self-publish it and and do it their own self so kudos to you guys for that that's amazing we we sent the first publisher we sent it to it got picked up so uh, we didn't have to deal with rejection letters yeah but uh, the other part of it it's a publisher when we looked at you know each of our libraries We we had between us over 200 of their books, you know, and one of the questions they say is like, could you see yourself being an author? You know, (laughs) and it was like, yes, of course, because we've got so many of your books between us. (laughs) I love it. Because I, I have several friends that have written books here, you know, uh, in St. Petersburg, Florida, where I live. And um, and they had, you know, they had to self-publish it and and put it out there themselves. So it's nice to it's nice to know and have somebody on there that actually got published by a company um, because that is a big deal. But, yeah, the rejection letters, that's going to break your heart to get one of those in the mail. <laughs> I would be like, oh, no, they don't think I'm good. Ah! <laughs> it's amazing. So what's the future look for you guys? What, what Besides a, another book coming out and then you're going to write your own books, but what, what else are you guys going to be doing out there? Well, I mean, so we have like probably five to six books that we have ideas for. So that, that'll take up a bunch of time. Plus, um, plus we... We um we just got invited to host a radio show that's going to start May 9th. So nice. We have our own radio show starting in a few days, and that's going to be called Crystal Quest. Nice. So, where, where's that going to air on? Um, it the the name of the company. It's positive healthy healthylife.net. Yes, positive talk radio. I and love it. We're going to be on once a month on Mondays, on the second Monday of the month at 9 a.m. Pacific time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's about 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But yes. it's recorded and they can go back and listen to it yes. whenever they want. Just like this. Like uh, exactly. I, I got this on iTunes and, and Spreaker and Anchor FM plus YouTube and Facebook. So it, yeah. it gets out there all over the place. So that's great. Yes, so- that, that hurtled in just, I mean, really recently, like a week ago. And so we're scrambling, putting shows together and like um that that kind of was unexpected but you know um it was um it's uh it's the i was on the linda mckenzie show and um and so then after my after the interview she called up and she said do you and john dennis want to host a show she said you know uh we like this idea of positive positive working with crystals and spiritual energy and stuff so we're actually sort of excited about this because we can it allows us the opportunity to go a lot deeper into topics that we couldn't get into the book because we actually did have a word count limit, you know, and we went right up to that word count limit. We went a little over. Yeah, we actually <laughs> went over. they allowed that. Yeah, they didn't. They get. They didn't set it back and say, "Take get rid of ten thousand words." <laughs> but it, the problem was we would we just kept like there would be a topic and we go wow, and then a topic would come up like like glass, mystical glass, glass that was made by the Egyptians, you know, and then it was 
wait a minute, we've got to, you know, that's a whole giant oh, yeah. thing in and of itself. And it's like, well, we don't have time to do it and we don't have space to do it. So, so our book does have over a hundred thousand words. So, and that was like the maximum we could have. <laughs> so, wow. yeah. yeah. And we, right. It was like a, a sports game. It's like, we got timed out, you know, it's, <laughs> the clock went out and then that was the end of it. <laughs> I know. I remember like doing editing one night of like trying to remove words, you know, just to get it, get it down. So when it's it like, we'll get rid of that, you know, the, that that's there, the, that that's there. Yeah, there. <laughs> I know. Yeah. So. Oh my goodness. And, and it, I can't imagine, um, you you know you pour your heart and soul on each of the pages and then you're like oh i gotta get rid of that oh i gotta get rid of that that would be like breaking my heart i know but it's it's but it's good editing because then it makes the language tighter you know and more condensed and that way you're getting more information per page rather than just talking on and on you know yeah it's it it, it made us yeah it made us be more concise i yeah. think you know Mm -hmm. And it's always hard, you know, when somebody's like sort of criticizing you and say, well, why did you, you know, why did you use this or why don't you use that? And then, you know, once you, you engage and say, yeah, well, I guess I could have said that in a better way. Let me, let me see if I can say it in a better way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I definitely love both y'all's creativity. I mean, you can feel it uh, just in your spoken word tonight on the show. It just, the energy is just pouring out. And I know you're both very creative. Uh, how would you tell somebody, uh, you know, how to uh, reach into their own creativeness and do something like this? Oh, well, I mean, so, so in our book, you know, a lot, uh, there's a lot of information in the first few chapters, but then the last two chapters, like chapter 11 and 12, a delve into more um, like say like creative or, or practical, practices. Okay. It's so like chapter 11 is all about, you know, creating grids, you know, uh, specific um, uh, meditations for how to clear crystals, how to, how to <coughs> breathe intention into crystals and embed intention into them. Um, and create grids, uh, you know, to, to help highlight or, or to amplify your um, intention. So I, I think of those as being very creative. There's even one, there's one, um, there's one kind of meditation that I do in, in my crystal energy sessions. I kind of guide people through this, but I also, it's in the book, we describe in the book too. And that's like, you know, once you have like selected crystals um, for like, say the four directions in your medicine wheel, then you sit in the middle of the medicine wheel and then you put one crystal in front of you, one behind you, one to the right, one to the left, and that, and then you're in the middle of this medicine wheel, and you face north, and um, and then you you use you, then through through your own um, visualization, you call in the energy of the stones one by one into your heart, and then recreate the grid energetically inside your heart, and then once you've done that, then fuse all the crystals together and create a new a new stone, a new spirit stone that doesn't even exist on earth. Okay. Mm -hmm. and, uh, when I have done that kind of a meditation myself, I mean, it's amazing what I have, what I've invented or created with that, like of these amazing mystical stones, which I think are kind of like spirit Chintamani stones. And then that stone is sort of like becomes a guide stone within 
But what it does is it really increases the faculties in the mind to really be inventive and creative. And so say if you're working on creativity or you're having creative blocks, I think a meditation like that can be an, a, a, a one that really kind of like opens up the, the creative channels in the mind and, and, and in the imagination too. Sorry, I have a little 15-year-old Jack Russell terrorist in the room with me. <laughs> well, we have some cats who kind of like, <laughs> kind of like hovering. I'm surprised they haven't actually gotten on the laptop yet. <laughs> well, <laughs> his little toenails click across the floor and it causes interference. This mic picks up everything. And I had to throw myself on mute there for a second. So, you know, there are some other creative practices too in chapter 12. Do you want to talk about those, John Dennis? Uh, yeah, we have, uh, we have a few different kinds of, um, you could call them sort of like Chintamani yoga. Uh, and um, there, you know, there's like a, um, like three different sets of them, but you know, the, the first set is um, sort of reperceiving yourself as more of like a, a being like a Buddha and a Bodhisattva. So we, I mean, the idea is when we look in the mirror, we see ourselves, but that's just the, uh, you know, the karmic version of ourselves, you could say, but you know, what is, what's really closer to the way we actually are is like these, you know, deities in a sense. I mean, we resemble them. We resemble that more. And so uh, what we're trying to do is to like perceive ourselves in that, in that way. And so what you do is, uh, you know, this particular mandala with the Kala Chakra, there's just a, a square in the middle, but there's like supposedly a building in the middle. And then there's all of these beings that live inside it. And then there's at the center of it, there's the Kala Chakra or the Kala Chakri. Uh, and it's the, you know, the uh, male and female deities of the wheel of time, uh, as an example. And so you can uh, start to visualize yourself as one of them. But uh, what we're doing to sort of like, you're supposed to like also experience what that realm is like, you know, what that dimension is like, what you would find there, what the sounds are, what the, the incenses or the smells that are there, um, the beauty that's there. So one of the things to, uh, because it's a book about the Chintamani, is there's a Chintamani in every mandala with every Buddha and Bodhisattva. It's like, so focus on that. And that helps you like find your place in, you know, in this world. You could focus on the, you know, the face of the, of the deity. You could focus on a lot of things, but uh, we're, we're also, uh, you know, giving some uh, practice where you can just focus on the Chintamani. And then it's like, you, you know, as you're focusing, it's like, oh, I'm here in this realm, you know. So um, we have a, a, a few of those like that. There's an, another one that uh, we do that we independently had this uh, experience when we went uh, connecting to the crystal skulls. And uh, we each had a, a variety of it. For me, it was like I suddenly um, sort of perceived my body as like completely um, that it was a crystal. And then the next second, it was like a liquid crystal, um, but it was completely and utterly clear, you know. So there's a uh, there's a, a mantra and a, a way that you can can visualize yourself. Of course, another way is like if you find the Mitchell Hedges next time it visits, you know, a, a town near you, <laughs> <laughs> or one or one of the crystal skulls, because there's many of them. 
so the the crystal skulls um though those are like they're they're man-made though right like man carved them out or did people actually find those in the it, out in you know mining and come across them did, did you do you guys know the answer to that I mean, either hu humans somebody made them so, somebody <laughs> made them either okay <laughs> humans or extraterrestrials or, or humans being led by extraterrestrials yeah there, there's a lot of controversy about who made them yeah and you see, i mean you see a lot of crude skulls you know when you go to the um the gem shows that people have carved uh, but like the Mitchell Hedges and a few others, they're an, you know they're anatomically correct, and the Mitchell Hedges, the, the jawbone actually moves up and down. Um, oh, and, wow! And the other thing is that uh, for a, a number of the skulls, they would have to take like triple the volume of what the skull ended up being just to like carve it down, and then whatever whatever kind of skill level they'd have. Uh, they would need because it's like you, you could burst the skull at any moment with, you know, the pressure of the seams of uh, that are within the skull itself. So um, it's um, however you look at it, it's a technology that's, you know, it's it's an impressive technology. And you, and you don't know how they got it because uh, Mitchell Hedges, his daughter, Anna, actually is the one that found the skull in uh, a Mayan temple in Lubantum. Um, and so, um, that's how that one came, but there's just a number, you know, there's a number of other skulls too. I, I, I remember like, um, somebody said, if you uh, like, and this could be, you know, again, this could be made up that I've heard, but like, if you got these three skulls together, it creates its ultimate power. Um, but I don't know the whole story behind it. Uh, I, I don't remember the gist of it, but have you guys heard anything about that? Where, yeah, there's this legend. If you put like there's twelve crystal skulls, and if you put them all together, something magical will happen. I think that was in the Indiana Jones and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull movie too. <laughs> but you know, the fact of the matter is, is that there's more than twelve crystal skulls. I mean, there there's actually quite a few of them, um, and so. I don't know. I, I think that might be an urban legend of some kind. If you actually, if you talk to some of the crystal skull keepers, they actually do sort of say that. I gotcha. So uh, I don't, uh, Indiana Jones, I don't even, I know I was around when those movies were out. I don't recall watching them though. <laughs> no, but what's great about Indiana Jones movies is that he's always going after some sacred object. You know, like the first one was the lost Ark of the Covenant. The second one, they were actually going after the lingam stones, the sacred Shiva lingam stones, which have a sort of a Chintamani quality to them. Uh -huh. and, then, and then the next, you can tell I still saw these movies. The next, the next movie was the, they were going after the Holy Grail. And sometimes right. the Holy Grail is referred to as a stone, like the Philosopher's Stone. And then the next movie was the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. You know, so they were doing so. So in each of the movies, he's going after some sacred object that has like these these magical powers, and you know, and and like three of them, they were stones. And then, wow. and, then and then even with the Lost Ark of the Covenant, like one of the last scenes in the Indiana Jones movie, they show like one of the archaeologists dressing up as the high priest with the with the breastplate on, so he could open the ark. So all of them involved Chintamani's in some in some fashion. 
very, very, very interesting. And and I think those took place out like in Egypt and different places like that, right? Those movies. Oh, the, um, oh, the movies. Yeah, the, the yeah. movies were located in different. Yeah, like like Egypt, China. Uh, 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 let's see, you know, South America, India. Yeah. Oh, India. Europe. Europe yeah. was, you know, like Tibet. The, yeah. Yeah. Now they were in all these places. Yeah, and I'm I'm just I, I, again I'm so amazed uh, by some of the stones and things that I've witnessed in my lifetime, um, and and the creation of them and how they come about. And and you're right, it could have been an extraterrestrial for the skulls, or or just like the pyramids. Like, how did they put those things together? Those big huge stones in that pyramid shape, and it's just it's the energy there is just fabulous. And I hope that on your talk shows that you go in depth, you know, with your radio show that you have coming up on a monthly schedule that you guys go into depth with all of that, because it's very interesting. Oh, we intend to. In fact, I, I we're going to have fun with, it. we're going to invite people we want to talk to. <laughs> um, and we're we're going to turn it into a learning opportunity. I mean, you know, like, like do things that you're passionate about. I mean, what, how creative is that? <laughs> oh, yes, exactly. Always do something that you love to do. Um, uh, we talk about that in the time bank. I, I don't know if you guys have a time bank out there where you guys are. Uh, but it's a it's a, a group of people in a community uh, that we it, instead of uh, like uh, giving of uh, of our time an hour of time uh, in place of money or something like that to help out our community, and uh, it, we talk about don't put a skill on there that you don't enjoy doing. Put some, not your work, but something you enjoy mm. that you love to do what you love to talk about what you you know what you enjoy doing with your hands and 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 help out your community that way so that's well, the I, I, I think that's a little bit about the wish fulfilling gem um you know uh i mean we talk about that in the book about like probably even purifying your desires purifying your heart purifying your intention because you know, like the bodhisattvas and even the high priest or anyone who, who's, who's using these stones in an empowered way it is for their community. It is for humanity. They're, they're you know, priests, they're, they're, they're praying and doing intentions and asking for blessings from higher source for their communities, you know. And, um, and, and I think that at the core is the wish fulfilling gem is that it's not about winning the lottery or getting your material needs met. It's a little bit about, you know, the, the, on the spiritual path, you purify what you want in your heart. And, um, and then you can use the gemstone in an, in an aligned way with higher source, the stone and your heart, your purified heart. And in that alignment, you awaken to your true purpose. So, I mean, I'm, I, that's just the other day, you know, so John Dennis and I keep doing like mantras together. And, and he even came up with a Chintamani mantra, which he sort of, didn't, you kind of created that yourself mm -hmm. years ago. So, so he and I do work with this with a, a stone grid, but um, the other day we were doing this joint practice um, with this Chintamani mantra 
And I, I went into a, like a, you know, when we do meditation afterwards, I went to this visionary state where it seemed like, you know, the sacred mountain, Mount Meru, which is the mountain near Shambhala kind of opened up and I went into it. And there was this, there was this, um, like, like, I don't know, an ascended master or some angel or some, somebody was there. And it was like all these jewels and crystals, like piles of them. And this is like a pirate booty. Okay. Mm. <laughs> oh, jewels. I mean, just, and, um, and I was sit, standing there and looking at all this surrounded by this incredible energy. And, um, and I didn't want to leave, not because I was being greedy for the crystals, but because of the energy that they were radiating. Okay. And uh -huh. so it's like this ascended being was then asking me, he's like, okay, well, it was like he was saying, it's like, this is going on in my mind. So here are the, here's the wish fulfilling jewels. What do you want? Like, it's like, you can ask for anything you want now. Okay. The door is open. Okay. And, um, and I went through this process, like I felt like a little overwhelmed, like, what do I even ask for? But he didn't put a limit on it. Like he didn't say you can have three wishes. He just said, just start saying them. So it's like, I just started like, like I almost felt like I was pouring out my heart of everything I needed or wanted, like all the problems in my life and like I, I, I wishing them away and, or like things that would help me to move forward in my life, whatever it was. I just, until I was just kind of a little bit exhausted by it. it's like, okay, well, there it is. I just did it all, you know? And then all of a sudden it's like my heart was free and, um, and, I'd gotten past all of those attachments or desires on like, say a lower level. And all of a sudden it's like my heart was pure. And then all of a sudden I was just radiating what I really wanted, which was a, which was to be of service to, to, to humanity and to others. And, and, and I all of a sudden had this experience and this happened just like a couple of weeks ago. Wow. So I'm, I'm, I kind of felt like that was for me a little bit of a breakthrough moment. You know, mm -hmm. you would think I would have had this experience while writing the book, but I really just had this experience the other day. And, um, no, you were too busy. <laughs> I've been too busy the book to actually meditate. You're right. But anyway, I, for me, it was I was kind of you know, a little bit of awakening. It was like, oh, and and I and I and I kind of encourage others to have this too. It's like, you know, it it it's it's not wrong to have all those desires, but you also have to move back through them too. Okay, and really get to the core. Once you get through all of the stuff that you think you want or all your problems, and then really get to the core, why, why am I here? What, what is my true mission? That I think that's a moment of enlightenment. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. I, I see that. What about you, John? Did this, uh, have you come to any of, in your meditation, in your practices, uh, something, you know, uh, ascended masters, what, what do you talk to them about when you're hooking up with them? I don't know if I get, I get the ascended <laughs> masters. I'll get, um, um, I'll just get the information in my head. You know, I, I, I don't have, uh, I don't have as many like, um, kind of visuals as happy has about, you know, like somebody's just entered the room. <laughs> well, yeah, but, but you know, sometimes I think what happens is like you know John Dennis is this very powerful energy that he has been you know improving or collecting over a long period of time 
And, um, and so I almost feel like sometimes he's the engine. He's doing these mantras and bringing these energies in. And I'm there and I can see them. Okay. So it's like, I'm almost like the channel. Like I'm telling him, okay, this, this energy is here. They're saying this, but I think John Dennis's energy and in, in his, and his spiritual power and connecting with these beings is actually bring that in. And then I, I'm seeing it. That's beautiful. What's what, what, can you share one of your mantras with us? Uh, certainly. Um, one of the ones that, um, is, is a big one is the one that's connected with um, Avalokiteshvara, the uh, Bodhisattva of Great Compassion. And then in India and in Tibet, uh, it, this Bodhisattva is viewed as a male, but in China and um, Japan and Vietnam, this is Guan Yin or uh, Kanon Bodhisattva. So, you know, it's the a female Buddha of um, Great Compassion. And so there's actually the word mani, and it's om, mani, padme, hum. So it's it's easy because it's six syllables, uh, and they don't really have um, they don't have like you know meaning in a sense like a, an affirmation. I mean they you can't translate them. So I mean you can't translate om. It's just you know it's the all energy, all sound awakener you know mm -hmm. it's like open all channels om open all channels um mani uh, means the gem padme means the lotus and hung is the sound of the heart energy so i mean there isn't even a verb in there other than you know the hung which you know is you know moves energy mm -hmm. so um it doesn't have like syntax like you would if you're translating um you know, something from one language to another. But what you get is, so the lo lotus uh, can be the, you know, the, the crown chakra and the jewel in the lotus is is the, you know, your awareness. So uh, it, it's very simple. And then you just, usually you do uh, Om Mani Padme Hum, Om Mani Padme Hum, Om Mani Padme Hum, Om Mani Padme Hum. And, you know, and you do it for usually, uh, you know, 21 times, you know, it depends on your situation, but usually a full round is considered to be 108 because it's a, it's a special number considered that's connected to our own architecture, like our human body architecture. Mm -hmm. And then you get to the 108th repetition and you use what's known as a uh, a bija would mean, which just means a, a seed syllable, like an essence syllable. And then the syllable is Hri, you know, like H-R-I, Hri. Hri, uh, okay. And, uh, and then that just sort of like shoots light out. And then you do an, you can do another round of it. Um, and, uh, but the idea of it is um, you, with the mantras, they're sort of like clearing you. They're almost like running a program, a sound vibration program through your um, your body, your uh, you know energy system, your aura, and it is just it's it's working the bugs out. And sometimes you know that that's happening because you speed the mantra up, you slow it down, you start to quote unquote mispronounce it, but but you're only mispronouncing it for a little while. Uh, you, or, or you change the cadence and it sounds like something entirely different, like you're singing a different kind of song, like you 
you're using the same lyrics, but you, now you have a different tune. Um, and uh, but if that happens just spontaneously, which is what you want, uh, then that means that that you're you're allowing the mantra to you know to work through you and to awaken things. But you know if you're really heavy-handed about it, you're you know I must pronounce it the same way all the time. But you know it'll go back, it'll flip back. So you have to let it you know you just have to let it be dynamic and let it move uh, you know through your through your body through your voice. Um, and then, you know, sometimes you'll get visualizations with it. Sometimes it'll be very quiet. Um, sometimes you'll just almost stop and, you know, you'll, it's like, you don't, it's like, I don't need to meditate. I mean, I don't need to chant anymore. I just need to like meditate. And usually with all the mantras, the one thing that you can do is, um, you, you try to keep it like a hum in your body so you can feel the vibration in your body. So one of the analogies is it's like a, it's like a bee so it's like if you're doing the mantra maybe the person who's sitting next to you can't exactly hear you but they might hear you buzzing <laughs> but oh. they might, you know they might not they might not be able to like pick out the words that you're actually saying you know and the other thing too is like to hold like a crystal especially like a quartz crystal while doing this because quartz is um has an acoustical element to it that's why they used quartz and radio transmitters because it can send out harmonic wavelengths so when you are doing a mantra while holding a crystal think of the crystals then also helping to send out that harmonic wavelength almost like a radio signal and and i you said 108 times so if you're concentrating on saying the four words where, how are you keeping oh, up with how many times you said? There we go. You have you have one of these. Uh, okay. It, it, it's it's called a mala, or sometimes it's called a, a you know a Buddhist rosary. And there's a hundred there's a hundred and eight of them. So oh. it's like, you don't have to like you don't have to count because it's like a money by me hung one, money by me hung two. Because <laughs> that takes you you know then you get analytic. So you just you know you just do it, and then you know you know from feel that you've gotten to another bead, you know that you've got to the big bead at the end. And well, and then they sometimes they make these like out of amethyst or rose quartz or quartz crystals. So as you're rubbing the malas, mm -hmm. you know the beads, then you're activating the crystal too. So what's interesting is they chose 108, which you're right that has to do with the the body structure. But if you take the one and the eight. And add that together, you got nine, which is, you know, humanitarian, spiritualism, all, oh, all yeah. the above. So it's 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 interesting how they came up with the, that number set. Yeah, it, well, it is. And it's like you're, um, you know, then they calculated, like from the acupuncture side, that um, your body is 108, you know, uh, fingers tall. Or it, it takes you to 96 here and then to get to the next level up like above it is it takes you to the 108 so it takes you to the next you know octave outside outside the body so so can so do you guys besides writing books do you guys i know you are a practitioner happy but john Dennis, are you a practitioner too and meet with individuals yeah i usually do um uh astrology you know as as one of the the things that I, I a tool i use and then um there's a whole set of energy practices um 
you know, they're they're known like as qigongs, uh, which are like it just means energy accomplishment. But there's a particular one that I learned from my teacher called um, Spiral Dragon. So it's really uh, an amazing transformational, and it's a it's it's very um, gentle, but it it sort of moves the energy through you, um, opens up your channels, opens up your mind, um, and you um, you know. A, the more you do it, it just keeps keeps opening things up. And somebody had asked my teacher, Master Chuan, um, well, it's like, how would I know that I'm making progress in doing Spiral Dragon? And he said, he had this kind of quizzical look that came across his face. He said, well, if you're not getting more intelligent, you're just, you're not doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, time has flown by. We got about two minutes left. Um, uh, tell us again where your radio uh, program is going to be because we got some people interested. I got message, so they they definitely so, want to go. I'll tell you our um, our website name because we'll definitely have the information on our website. Our website is www.chintamanimatrix.com. So that's spelled C-H-I-N-T-A-M-A-N-I matrix m-a-t-r-i-x.com and then our radio show which is going to be premiering may 9th it's going to be called crystal quest is going to be on positive life radio um or po something like that but anyway we 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 haven't been there for very long <laughs> we haven't been there <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, it, and it's healthy healthy life Dot net. Yeah. yeah, that's where you'll find that radio show. And like I said, we're going to be posting that on our website soon, too. So and then on our website, we do a, a blog every month on a new moon about uh, the different uh, new moons linked to whatever your intuition is. And there's always a crystal of the new moon. And so there's a discussion of the crystal and how to use it in uh, in this particular month. And in fact, we just posted a new article today because today is a new moon and it's a solar eclipse. So please go visit our article there. Um, it's actually the our name of the article is called The Cauldron. So this is kind of we're kind of in an intense eclipse phase right now. And, um, and so that you can find that article on our website. Oh, goodness. It, what, this this uh, eclipse that's going on, what's the energy like in it? intense yeah well <laughs> i mean every eclipse is intense so it's like usually you consider a new moon to be like you know two to three times whatever the normal background noises and in, in focusing things and then they talk about eclipses as being to the second or the third power you know times you um, know so it, it 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 makes a big difference and then uh the planet pluto had just gone retrograde yesterday so whenever you have even a regular new moon and any planet changing it sort of like makes it larger so if you have a giant eclipse you know an eclipse which is like more powerful and moving energy and then you get the slowest planet going um you know it it, it now just completely each of them intensifies one another interesting i love it well you know i want to thank you both for giving your time um, to us tonight and, and sharing some valuable insights and getting us, letting us to get to know you 
and and you know we're, you know get to watch you and and hear you on the radio and and really get involved uh getting to know you even further in the future and i hope you guys will come back on this show uh after you write your your second book <laughs> yes it'll be we're gonna do it better and you know in less time than six years <laughs> <laughs> i know you will i know you will. <laughs> i know you so is there anything else you guys like to say before we sign off this evening yeah i'm i actually very grateful that you reached out to us and asked us to be on your show Oh, well, I, I think you're both amazing. And I'm thankful that I got to connect with you and, and, um, and that uh, we're connected on LinkedIn. So I, I that's a blessing for me. I, I'm so thankful for that. All right. Well, everyone, thank you so much for joining us for another edition of Raising Vibration Radio. I hope you have a fabulous week, everyone. And check us out next weekend. All right. Have a great week, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.